After a 20-year career as an entrepreneur and C-level executive, Bill Nikolaus has learnt that organisations can only grow when their leaders grow personally. Bill founded his first company at the age of 21 and established three companies before the age of 26. Well, what a man. In 2016, Bill's company, Nico Property, was acquired by an ASX-listed property portal, and in 2018, Bill was appointed Group CEO and later Executive Director. His tenure ended successfully with a reverse takeover of the company, which culminated in a 500% increase in the share price at its peak. Today, Bill is the Managing Director at Levels Growth Consultants and is the co-founder of the digital law firm Bond Conveyancing. Bill has raised over $35 million in funding and is an active investor in both public and private companies. Bill's a straight talker, providing actionable content that combines strategic thinking with extensive research and a deep passion for streamlined revenue growth so that business owners can maximize performance and set themselves apart as market leaders. Now, Bill's obviously recognized as a thought leader in the speaking industry and has worked with organizations of all sizes and industries, from startups to Fortune 500 companies. His expertise lies in leadership, sales, and personal development. And today, I'm pumped to speak with Bill about how to set up a high-performance culture with responsibility, accountability, and passion at the forefront of the organization. We'll probably talk about how to turn around toxic cultures and obviously actionable steps to implement positive change in business. And we'll talk about Bill's approach to building high-performance teams, how important leadership is, and also provide actionable advice um, on how to implement it in your own business or in the workplace that you currently work. This is very much about team culture, how to build it, how to motivate people and how to perform better. This is very much going to be a performance-based discussion today and I'm pretty pumped to meet Bill. It's going to be my first meeting with Bill as soon as we hit record, so wish me luck. Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast, Bill. How are you going? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah, a few tickles in the throat today from both of us, but hopefully um, our, our sound is perfect for our for our listeners. But yeah, good to have you on the show today. And I'm really interested in your story about your business journey. You've done a heap in business. It sounds like you started off in an absolute flyer, having set up your own first business at the age of 21. So we'll get into that. I'm yeah. pretty keen to talk about, you've obviously had a lot of experience through business and this podcast, a lot of it's around workplace health and culture. Um, so we'll, it'd be great to get into how through your different experiences or through your experiences through your network as well as, you know, how do you create really a high performance culture in workplace? It's something I've got my own business um, bill as well. And I've had periods where I've thought, oh, we're killing it here. This is great. Team culture is perfect. And maybe on reflection, it actually was maybe not the right type of culture um, or a high performance culture as well on reflection. So there's a lots of ups and downs that happen when you're running a business or involved in business. So it's going to be great to, to dive into that. But maybe we kick off, Bill, with, yeah, tell us about how you actually started in business. 21, did I get that right? You started at 21. Yeah. So first <laughs> of all, I'll apologize for the husky voice. It's not normally this husky, um, but I'd like <laughs> to see a bit of under the weather, but yeah. Look, I'm, you know, I, I was a, a failed, like, like, like a lot of people, a failed athlete, you know, I thought I, I really wanted to play sports professionally, 
by the age of about 19, I had a, a stark realization that that wasn't going to happen. And so I, I really never worked a day in my life before that. I, you know, I was paid very, very meagerly, but paid to play football and that's what I was doing. Uh, I've made a realization that I wanted to, you know, if I wasn't going to make it in sport, I actually quit playing altogether and, and I, and I devoted everything I had into, into my business life, you know, I started working in any job I could get. And then I was always good with numbers. Uh, mathematics was always a core, uh, something I was good at at school. And I was pretty comfortable talking to people and uh, that turned into a, a true here of finance somehow. Yeah. By the time I was 21, we just saw a little bit of a, a gap in that market. And a friend of mine and I were mortgage brokers at the time were finding it the hardest part of being a mortgage broker, probably still the hardest part is getting clients. And we had a really good method of generating leads. So we started a, a marketing company. Second company was about two or three years later where we turned, we started our own finance company to, to convert our own leads. Both of those businesses were, were good little businesses, but we were very inexperienced and they ultimately failed. And when I say failed, you know, we're not talking about bankruptcy, right? But, um, they mm. didn't work, like we lost a bit of money and, and we both moved on and, and started jobs. So yeah, er, early start, some hard lessons early in my life. Yeah. I love that. I, I reckon I'm similar, maybe not 21, but 26, which felt like I was the maturity level of a, a 21 yeah. year old at the, the time I went to university and did physio and. And um, pretty quickly into business ownership. And yeah, I kind of think of, um, you know, some people go to university to then do maybe an MBA or something after that. Um, I reckon you, you you can kind of learn quickly, probably by losing some money along the way, though, um, some tough lessons that will hold you, that hold you in good stead for, you know, that that next sort of uh, decade, perhaps in, in business. And so with, with those few that you, you set up, you then got into, um, you, you obviously got back into business at, at another point. Is that, um, tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah. I always say um, after my university degree, that costed me a couple of hundred thousand dollars in those first two years of my life. At about 26, I started a company called Nico Property, which was a property research company. And after it was had a digital lens, everything I've always done had a digital link to it. About a year and a half into that business, we did a model model pivot um, from just selling research reports to actually helping developers engage agents and sell new projects effectively. So we we're like the middleman between a developer and a real estate agent. That business sort of took off, you know, after, like I said, after a couple of years getting the model right, about six years after that, so eight years in total in that business, we sold it to a, an ASX listed property portal, digital company called iBuyNew Group. And then a couple of years after that, I, I went on to become their group CEO. And I went from small business entrepreneur, which is what I love, somehow yep. into corporate. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yep. and then um, I was actually the chief revenue officer of another ASX technology company after that as well. Yeah, unreal. Yeah, you've sort of seen it all from from that early start into um, the bigger businesses, which operate completely differently. Do you, you love the small uh, startup phase the most, would you say, as, as yeah. most entrepreneurs do? Yeah. Sure. And I, I love, I love, early stage businesses. Um, and I love fast growth, you know, when you get to mm. corporate and eventually it gets to a point where, you know, you've got to worry about every dollar and just making, you know, 10% growth a year that that's not me. Um, and yeah. also, you know, I've, I've always loved small business and I, I don't, I, but I love project. I love doing something that's really excites me. So when someone, even if it's a corporate role, pitches me on something that I really believe in and I can get swept up in it and it, and yeah. next thing I know, it's three years later, I've devoted into, into some project, but, um, yeah, but definitely I, I love small business and I knew I'd always come back to it. And now I'm here for the last year or so I've started three small businesses and running them and sort of enjoying life, doing consulting and keynote speaking in one business. Then I've got a digital law firm and a buyer's advocacy as well. Yeah. Wow. Hey, you're still going, mate. So <laughs> it's good. You yeah, haven't yeah. really slowed 
slowed down since uh, since that first starting at the age of tender age of twenty one. Um, no, that's unreal, Bill. And and with your experience over this time, you know that that's there's so many lessons, no doubt, through that journey. Um, seeing it in all different all the different phases of growth with the business, but also from a personal level, no doubt, there's some growth in that. Um, do you feel like there's a correlation between personal growth and business growth, as in with more maturity, um, personal growth yourself? Has that do you feel like that's correlated to better business growth? Uh, d- definitely. I mean, as you, as you mature and you learn more, you get better at business. You know, I, I remember early in my career, I've always um, had this notion that there can be really bad actors in business, which is true till this day. Um, and I always wanted to do things the right way, but I used to think that doing things the right way was letting people walk all over you. What I learned very quickly over, over those years is that you could actually really be a, a good person, do things the right way, but also have boundaries and have expectations. And, you know, and and building a culture isn't just about being nice to everyone. It's about, Mm. you know, helping people become better and helping yourself become better. And, you know, when you talk about personal improvement, for me, the most successful business people I know are people that are continuously learning. You know, they're never the finished product. They'll never tell you that they know everything. They'll never say, this is how we've always done it. And this is why it works. You know, they understand things are always changing. So personal development is crucial to to business success over the long term, for sure. Mm. I think, I think Bill, you mentioned, um, not being not, you know, it's, it's a, a great culture. Isn't, you know, cupcakes in the office and free pizza and beer on a Friday, perhaps I'm, I'm just ad-libbing or extending on your, your thinking there, but I feel like maybe, uh, Bill, maybe that's when I was referring to that high performance culture in my business that I thought I had, I think I was just in a really friendly, I personally, I think I was, um, an extremely friendly, um, had a friendly approach to the whole thing. And what, like a byproduct of that is that, yeah, everyone, maybe it's you avoid the uncomfortable conversations or perhaps you don't step in when you need to, to create or move things along faster. You probably, yeah, avoiding those tough conversations. And, and that was my early, early years, I must say. Um, is that what you, have you seen that in the businesses or yourself in those earlier years? Yeah, that, that was pretty much my, my experience. Exactly. Um, mm. I felt like to, to run a good business, you had, everyone had to like you, um, and you had to, you had to go you know, give them everything they wanted and, you know, and not, and if some things didn't work out, not having the expectations or being hard on, on the, hard on the situation that didn't work. And yep. it's just not, it's just not the way, you know, you think about sporting environments, you think about any kind of environment you to create a good culture, you want people that are going to succeed and want to succeed themselves. Um, cause the only way, the only way that your business is going to succeed is if your employees are successful as well. And to just be nice to everyone and not have any expectations and not have any boundaries, it's just, you're not going to get the best out of people. And, you know, I subscribe to the principle of servant leadership, which means that, you know, especially in the 21st century, servant leadership for me is, and is proven by the numbers to be the best style of leadership, because right now we don't need leadership where, you know, if you get in at 901 you're in trouble. That's not, that's not good leadership in this day and age for most industries. Typically what we want is we want to give people all the tools they need to succeed, give them all the support, the guidance and provide all the empathy and you know, goodwill you can. But then at the same time, there's is, you know, with servant leadership, I, I bring in these two other principles that I think balance that out. One of them is called ultimate responsibility, um, which is that every single task, every single business unit, 
every single project has one person and one person only ultimately responsible. Now they might have five people helping them or whatever, but that one person is ultimately responsible. And that gives you really good ability to say, okay, well, if something needs to be done, who's the person that's responsible for getting that done? And that creates some good behaviors. And the second one is, is something I call radical honesty, which is a play on uh, Netflix, uh, Red radical candor mm. um, mm-hmm. policy, which is basically if you see something that can be improved in the business, it is your duty to talk to that person, um, about what's wrong and how to potentially improve it. And you know, that can be fraught with danger, right? We actually run significant training sessions on that for every new person that's onboarded. Um, we talk about it in a quarterly all hands. So we just have to make sure that people understand exactly the way to do that in a respectful way. You know, always do it one-on-one in front of other people, do it in a respectful way and try and find solutions together. Um, but it doesn't matter if you're the brand new employee in entry level job and the, you see some of the CEO could be doing better. It's your duty to go and talk to them about it. Um, and we try and encourage that. And the way we try and encourage that is by encouraging feedback to me first, you know, people see that I'm asking for feedback, then that, and they are giving that to me then that gives me the license to give them that feedback as well. Um, mm. And I think if you balance that, hey, I'm here to help you, empathetic, we're trying to do things together. I'm going to give you all the support you need, all the tools with that, you know, that, that look, but we also have now these expectations. You give yourself the license to, to then push on those expectations. And if someone's not performing and, and you need to have a hard conversations with them, you've built that, that credibility with them to be able to do that. And I think, like we said earlier, it doesn't give you the license to be you know, a horrible person, right? That's not what it's about. Um, in fact, being empathetic is a really big part of it. And that gives you the ability to then be, uh, have really high expectations on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's, they're, they're great. Um, great examples. And I think, you know, you mentioned sporting teams as well, and you've obviously had a career in sport by the sound of it. Um, early days, if, yeah, you look at those, that high performance cultures for different sporting codes or, you know, the Australian Institute of Sport, for, for example, the co- the style of coaching has changed quite a lot as well. Even if you think about the old school approach to say something like AFL, <laughs> the coaches would just be yelling at their, yelling at their players and saying, go, you know, go harder, go faster, whatever it might be. A few swear words in there as well, probably <laughs> to, to now it's actually more of a, more of a arm around the arm around the player. Let's discuss what happened. Let's get the feedback from the replay. Um, Maybe an iPad there to look at what went wrong. Talk about it, coach on the spot, and then, great, got the feedback. Now I'll go back out and play now knowing, you know, that what happened and where I could have done better. The sporting sort of analogy, I'm always big on that because I'm always thinking about how can you make the workplace a little bit better um, using some of those those principles. The communication part's quite important. And I think, yeah, as I was saying earlier, my approach to having direct conversations early on in my business ownership career, I probably, if I'm honest, I probably steered away from um, some of them until they got too bad that I really needed to. (laughs) So to the point of things going uh, pear-shaped, how do you... With your, I guess, direct communication style, I'm, I'm assuming, by the way, that, that that is your approach in your businesses. What sets you up for a great discussion that's really clear and direct? Is it is it more around having those expectations really clear from from the get go with the job design, that kind of thing? Hundred percent. So really clear expectations. You know, this this ultimate responsibility principle is part of that. Hey, there's one person responsible, so you really clearly understand who is responsible for what task, and then. And then, you know, having the regular management, this is something that, you know, small uh, pound for pound, I always say small business has got more talent than corporate, 
but corporate does some things a lot better. For instance, you know, yep. corporate has really good um, understanding of the right meeting cadence to get high performance, right? So for instance, you know, depending on what kind of business you're in, but you know, your, your, your weeklies, and then you've got your one-on-ones and, you know, who, what do you say when, when do you have, how do you, what do you communicate at what time? So for instance, you know, in our weeklies, you know, we might, um, let's just say you're, you're running like a, uh, some kind of service team or a sales team or something, your, what your weekly team meeting is not the time to say, John's doing horribly and Jenny's doing great. Right. Mate, what, what we typically do is we might, we might put up on a screen to say, these are the numbers that, you know, the yep. mortgage brokers have written this week or the sales team's done this week. Um, but we won't talk about, uh, we might, we might, we might bring Jenny up cause she's done great. You know, we might say, Hey, Jenny, look at Jenny's results. How great's that? But we'll never talk about the bad results at that time. You never try and embarrass but people need to have an understanding of where they're at. And I think, you know, bringing that forward so that everyone's visually can see that comes on, can motivate people, but then the communication needs to happen one-on-one in person and in private. Typically the way I would run those conversations is not, Hey, you haven't done well, you know, what are you going to do to fix it? I'd spin that around the other way and say, Hey, I know you can do better. Otherwise I wouldn't have hired you. Obviously we're not giving you something that you need. What can we do to help you get better at what you're doing? So that's the kind of, you know, the message that I'll be having rather than you're doing crap, do better. Um, yeah. you know, that's not helpful. Um, it, it's, it's look, I know you can do better. So, you know, building up a bit of confidence on, I, I wouldn't have hired you otherwise. Maybe it's something that we're not giving you that you need. What can we do together to get you up to hear your number mm. that you need to hear or to do what you need to do? Um, and that's kind of, and, and, you know, just going back on, because this is uh, communication is an important part of it. Just going back on what you said. I hear a lot of people say to me, oh, Gen Y and millennials, they're different and they're this and they're that and they're emotional. And I'm like, Gen Ys, like I'm, I'm a Gen Y and I'm 42. I'm the first of the Gen Ys. So we're 40 years old Gen Ys, right? Like they're not, they're the major yeah, part yeah. of the workforce now, right? So if you're just throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, no, they're different to us. Well, it's not the right way to look at it. Yes, yes, they are different to us, right? And I'm probably more like a Gen Z, right? Gen X, sorry. Yeah. But um, they are they are different to us. They communicate differently. Um, they act differently. But from my experience, is if you engage them correctly and they buy in, they're absolutely fantastic to work with. You know, they're not. Mm. They're loyal. They work hard. But they need to be engaged, and they, they need to be. You know, you need to almost sell them before you can get them to sell something for you or to. To, you know, yes. to do a service for you. You need to really get them to buy in and believe in what you're doing and you need to treat them in a way that they're comfortable. And, you know, sporting teams now, um, uh, I saw an interview with Jose Mourinho recently, the soccer coach yep. for Roma. Yep. And he was talking about how his management style changed a lot because the kids changed, he said. And they interviewed one of his players afterwards and a player was saying that Jose Mourinho knows every player's wife and kids' names. He knows them all because he understands that by connecting with them personally, they're going to give him more on the, mm. you know, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really, you know, yeah, probably an extreme version of what you need to do in business. You need to really care about your care and understand your employees. You know, that, that's a typical servant leadership principle, and then they'll give you what you need on the other side. Yeah. No, that's great. And yeah, you mentioned Jen. Gen Zs, I'd be, uh, I'd be in the upper range like yourself, 39 turning 40, but yeah, your Gen Zers, they're actually going to make up what 75% of the workforce by 2030, I think was something that I read, uh, recently. It's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, people that are, um, in inverted commas, uh, lazy. <laughs> so, so, you yeah. know, it, perhaps even if they were, we would have to find a way to work together, find a, you know, motivate, um, engage them, find a way to connect, um, 
it's uh that's an interesting story about learning the the wives and the the kids of these I, I guess these younger players from that from that older coach um finding some common ground i think and and also i guess in this day and age as well bill is the hybrid working you know i was at the gym this morning i was working out with a couple of guys who would be in the gen z category and they were um you know oh, i'm not going into work not going into work today I'm, i'll just get my things done and it was a very much i work and i like it but i'm not uh it's not my whole life it's it's a in and out sort of thing um especially on a, on a friday at the time of recording this um we're both at home as well today so yeah. the communication piece then becomes a bit of a challenge there i think there's got to be more resp- there's more responsibility on the employee side but then on the employer side there's more more of a need i think to connect and find those avenues to you know connect with someone e- even if it's through through a camera uh into their homes how do you do that i guess is um is the question yeah so do you have any have have you experienced that or is there any any advice or experience yourself with that hybrid working and connecting yeah, the first things we can't just wash our hands of it and say people are changing. I don't want to change. I mean, it's, it's mm. you're never going to succeed that way. Your business changes, people change. You need to adapt with it. What we've found is, is very quickly is you know through the COVID age where things went digital a lot more. What became really important was because you're not going to just have that hey pull them aside from their desk and go and have a chat anymore because yep. you're kind of all fixed on your job. Um, and one, one thing about being online is that you lose that personal touch because, you know, let's just say we've got a Zoom meeting, you and I, right? And, and we had a couple of topics to talk about. We finished those topics in 15 minutes. We had 30 minutes in our diary locked away, but in 15 yep. minutes, we finished those topics. What are we doing then? We're pretty much just logging off, right? We're saying, hey, I've won 15 minutes, right? But if you were, if I came to meet you at your office or, you know, we, we were doing something together, you know, we were going for a coffee, which is, which is pretty common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you you wouldn't just walk away after 15 minutes, right? Then you got, let's say you're doing a one-on-one with your team member um, and you and you, know, you got 45 minutes in your diary, 30 minutes you're done talking about what you need to talk about. In a Zoom, what I found was we're logging off. Like, okay, cool. Great. Thanks. Let me know if you need anything else. But, but if that was in a one-on-one, even if we're just in the office and we had a coffee or we're chatting, typically you'd fill that last 15 minutes in your diary with what I think to be the most valuable bits of communication, which is, so what else can I help you with? What else are you doing? Tell me about a client that you're working yeah. with. Tell me about something you're struggling with. You know, all the stuff that is kind of just, you know, fills the time at the end, but is so valuable. Knowing that when you're online, that's not happening. How can you manufacture so to make sure that it happens? So, you know, let's just say you're going to stop with one-on-ones now. The first question I ask in every one-on-one, no matter what level of person, whether it's, you know, when I was the CRO running a, my chief marketing officer or head of sales, um, or whether now, you know, now it's more business I'm dealing with, you know, all levels. Um, the first question I ask is how are you, how are you feeling about things? How are you feel? Cause that gives you a really broad answer and it brings out the best things and the worst things, no matter what they are that you're dealing with. You know, I'm struggling with this. So I've just had this win and these are all things you want to know. So starting with really open-ended questions that you can at with that, not, not just, Hey, these are your numbers. Why did we do this? And you know, really mechanical opening up to open conversations and then you know, making sure that you're, you know, you're, you're finishing the conversation with, you know, what else is happening in your life? You know, what else can I help you with? You know, those kind of questions should be the last question of a one-on-one anyway. You now, what else can we help you with? Just giving yourself the time to make sure that you're connecting with them and, you know, making sure that you have your regular cadence. So what, what we did as well with one-on-ones is 
typically I wouldn't do a, I'd do a one-on-one once a week with every team member. And then I just make an effort to go and see them we, subconsciously, you know, I wouldn't even do it on purpose, but in the office, I'd go and see them, you know, grab them five minutes, chat them, attach to them at the office because that wasn't happening. Um, we are scheduled in phone calls. So yep. we scheduled yep. in um, phone calls every week so that you're going to, so we used to do Monday team meet, Wednesday one-on-ones and then phone call on a Friday. And I used to actually schedule in my diary, you know, so that, that way we know that we're having those communications. So if you, if you're moving away from an office environment where some things just happen naturally, um, then you need to start being a lot more organized. Um, doesn't mm-hmm. mean it can't work. It, it can work. We've seen it work, um, it, you know, industry dependent, but you just need to have the right structures in place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, just generally in work and if we, if we are, you know, mostly hybrid going forward, collaboration is, is one of the key aspects of creating a great high-performing culture. Naturally, the technology can be actually great for collaboration for some things. Um, you know, we use, um, some different software where we're on a whiteboard all at once and it's all digital, blah, blah, blah. But however, um, you do collaboration in the office for those bigger projects perhaps is also important. So being like companies or leaders being intentional about that in-person time needs, yeah. So it might be something like four times a year, we get together and it's just social, um, and we catch up and that kind of thing. Have you found a rhythm yourself that it is really based around more, I guess, socializing or more sort of off yeah. time together? One of our, um, one of the businesses I run is, uh, like I said, a, a national digital law firm all across Australia called Bond Conveyancing. Um, and we've got a, a fantastic general manager, Morella Rice, who, you know, you learn all the time, you know, um, and, and she's so good at running a team, you know, they, they love working there. They're all remote. So nobody actually, well, you know, they can come in and one person comes in a few days a week. Um, but pretty much no one comes into the office and uh, they're all remote yeah. and I've never had a business where everyone was remote before. So it was, that was a, you know, I was really interested to see how she managed that, but she has such a highly engaged team. They love being there. They love her. They love working in the business. They're very high performers. You know, mm-hmm. their, their MPS is 154% above benchmark in the industry and they all work from home. Well, wow. so to say you can't provide good customer service working from home is just not true. Um, mm. and what I see with her is that she's, first of all, she's in touch with them very regularly. Um, so li- literally daily one way yep. or the other. Um, but she also does once a fortnight, she gets them all central. So, you know, the people in Sydney get together, the people in Melbourne get together. And if that's just an office, she does office days just once, once a fortnight. She gets everyone in once a fortnight and then they all, you know, there's not enough desks for everyone. They all work around a table or something, but everyone's just in once a fortnight, at least for part of the day. Cause this is the other thing, right? When you talk about working from home, we've been able to hire some amazing employees that require flexibility that we would not have got otherwise. So for instance, you know, even these office days, they're not there all day cause they got to drop the kids off, pick them up some of them. So they might come in 10 till 2.30 for that office day. Cause we know that they, but, but these people are some of our best employees. And if they take half an hour to go drop off the kids and pick them up, who cares, right? In the mm. afternoon, there's an hour out of their day. They're probably working until nine o'clock at night anyway. They're, they're so committed to the business. So just being able to understand them and then find ways to, to bring them together. And Morella does a great job in that, in that once a fortnight, um, sometimes it's even once a month, um, where she just gets them together in the office and they, you know, they work on things together. Um, and you know, and a lot of the time there's a lunch that goes on and, you know, just, just ad hoc yeah. stuff, but you know, just building, building those relationships at my business plan in that business as well. He's, he does a social event once a month. So, you know, we'll just, it's not a requirement. You don't have to attend, but you know, we'll all go bowling or we're having just a lunch or something like that. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just, a, just a really good way to say, Hey, you don't have to attend this, but if you want to, this is what we're doing. And a lot of people do it. Then most people that can attend it will attend. 
And and that's a good way to sort of build that harmony within the business and, and you get to know each other on a personal level. Yeah, no, that's great. And I kind of also think of high-performance teams are one of the key elements being trust. Um, so, tr- you know, trusting your teammates that they'll get the job done um, in hybrid mode as well. I guess, you know, if, you, if you're getting that flexibility from your employer and on seek, the most searched term is work from home, I believe. So um, it's, there's a real need or a, a want for work from home. If, you know, the, the onboarding is great and the accountability is there, there's a coach, uh, i.e. your leader or your manager that's listening, um, that wants to help you and coach you and gives you the tools. If you encircle all that, it's a trust building environment. And there's a lot of information coming out at the moment bill around psychological safety in the workplace. So what that really is, and it's, it's, it's being talked about from a health and safety perspective, what it really is, is people feeling like they can speak up and they feel comfortable in the team and how you create psychological safety is all the things we've talked about so far. It's uh, job design. So, you know, having really clear understanding what you're what you're in for and committing to it, um, having a clear line of communication to your manager. Apparently that leads to the highest levels of well-being for for an individual or for an employee. And the other thing that's really great for people's well-being at workplaces is having a best friend. People with best friends or, you know, good friend at work means that they stay at the workplace for longer, according to Gallup. Um, so there's just a lot of good stuff in what you've said around high performance culture and and all the things in well-being are really pointing to the manager or the leader being such a key element um, or a key part to creating that high performance culture, but actually great performance, but also better well-being in the team. So it's such a big role. Um, where I'm going with this, Bill, is like you, you're doing this across three businesses or and you've done it in your your journey. What about um your well-being? <laughs> it's like yeah. it's quite a lot, it's quite a lot, you know, giving a lot to employees, to your business. A lot of dedication involved. Um, I don't have. I've. I haven't done three businesses, so I've. I've had a. I've done a fair bit with one. <laughs> how do you? How do you look after yourself? Or, or what are some? You know, through your experience, I guess. What if you were to tell a, you know, a young younger entrepreneur or business owner, and your clients that you have small business clients, what do you tell them about their own well being? Like, what do you do for yourself? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to acknowledge the fact that you've got to have a plan in place for your own well-being, you know. Um, you know, like I do I do keynotes, as you know, and um, one of them is on resilience. And I talk about my stories early on in my career and some of the things I struggled with and the amount of people that pull me aside after those with, you know, almost identical stories is yep. ridiculous. Like it's, it's rife within the business community, whether it's corporate or small business, where, you know, there's a lot of pressure and as that builds up, you know, that can be detriment to not only your health, but then your business as well, right? If you're not, if you're not able to perform at your highest level, then you're going to, it's bad for your business. Um, so some of the things that I, um, that I worked on over my career that I've learned, you know, the hard way is having this right work life balance. And I, I don't love that term a lot of the time, because for me, work life balance isn't about, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to switch off from work. I, I'm, you know, when, I, when I'm with my friends, we talk about work, you know, when I'm, when I'm, and, and I love it. I love, I love that environment. So it's not about, I need to get away from it all. Um, but one thing I used to do was, um, I, I didn't really understand my body and I didn't understand the stress that I was under and how to deal with that. And I used to do like one big holiday a year and just have three or four weeks off. And, you know, it was great yeah. and the turn off or use over Christmas or something in the middle of the year. Um, and that was all good and well, felt great after that, but 
Then there was, you know, 11 months of the year where I was going hard, you know, I was pushing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sprinter in business, you know, I'm, I'm not, I said much a marathon runner. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll go really hard for a couple of months. And then what I found works for me, it's probably different for everyone. What I found works for me was three months, two, three months, really hard, a week, 10 days off, two, three months, really hard, a week, 10 days. And, you know, even those 10 days, it, you know, it doesn't have to be all for me anyway, and this is not for everyone. It doesn't have to be all the way off. Like sometimes I'll still you know, do some emails while I'm away, but you know, it's from a, a beach in Bali or something rather than, uh, rather yeah. than the office, you know? So I try and not, not every holiday is overseas or, yeah, but I'm um, just a break. Um, and I try and get away from the city or, or you know, the, the, the house. And if I do that for, um, you know, for instance, every April I go away, it's only four days. I only do four, four or five days. I go with the family in four or five days. And it just gives me a little reset. Um, and that gives me comfort. Um, the other thing is, and, and I've been guilty of, of not doing this a lot over my career, but just physically being, being, um, being in better shape has given me that mental energy as well, um, to, to be able to do things better. So I can't stress the importance of, you know, just looking after yourself and, you know, for some people that might mean going to the gym five times a week for others, it might mean just going for a walk, um, you know, what, whatever that means to you, but being in a good place physically, um, is really important. And then the last thing is, you know having really good support network, which I know is, is, is a luxury, but you know, who are the really important people in your life, you know, and have you been, you know, have you selected them correctly? It's going to make a big difference in your life. You know, um, you know, your success in business is, you know, you have to sacrifice a lot to be successful and do you have the support network that can, that can deal with that no, no, and, yeah, and give you comfort to be able to do that. Yeah. Really good tips. Really good tips there for uh, for business owners in in general, and it, it's nice to hear that from um, someone who's been very active in business. The um, the sort of that that uh, quarter, you know, maybe quarterly sort of break or that, um, you know, sprinting as you mentioned, not not marathoning. I've I've also done a similar thing in my uh, in my diary. Every six weeks, I've got a, a little note there, and it just says uh, just says well being. Basically, it's a little reminder that you know I, I don't go away. I don't really. I don't often go away, but I'll do something for one day of that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one of the concepts that I've um, spoken a lot about in this podcast and and through um, through writing as well is called deloading weeks. So basically, it's very similar to strength training. Um, with with strength training, when you're building up your and maybe it's a bit of a, a metaphor for this as well. But you for six weeks, you build strength. You you do the the you know a couple of exercises, and you actually can gain um you know gain strength in your body it takes six weeks though so you've got to do it um but after six weeks you can have a week off um which is a deloading week it's actually great for your recovery and you need that also that recovery for those muscles to continue to grow and it doesn't mean you stop training completely um it means that you just have a lighter week or a, you don't push yourself too hard then the following week you set yourself up with a new program so it's really good sort of metaphor for projects as well at work. Yeah. I'm an absolute sprinter myself. Um, and I, I can't, I, I don't go, I can't go all year. I need those, um, those breaks in. And I think, like you said, and just sort of linking this back to high performance culture or high performance teams, the leader and manager play such a critical role. So they, their energy has got to be, um, got to be, you know, a hundred percent or in front of their team anyway, it needs to be really quite good and positive all the time. If you've got a mopey, yeah. uh, Mopey leader or manager, it's not very, um, not very good for the for the business, as you, as you say, and that's that's what it's all about. So, 
Um, love it, Bill. Is there any other, just, just on a final note, just as, as we go on looking, looking ahead to the future of work or businesses in general, are there any sort of key, key skills or thoughts on what a leader needs to be thinking about going into the next decade or so? Yeah, I think we're just going to make sure that we realize that, that work has changed. Um, you know, the, the management principles of 10, 20 years ago were built from the industrial age, right? Where if you didn't get to work at eight o'clock or whatever, when the production line started, the production line had to stop, right? There's a thousand people waiting for you to get there, right? So pretty important that people got there on time, right? So this is really hardcore principle of, you know, very tight boss, the boss sort of relationship to the employee. The employer was in power, not the employee. That has changed whether we like it or not. In this business environment, yeah, the knowledge services economy, the employees have a strong grasp of power in terms of, you know, what they, you know, it's it, not, not that difficult these days to, to get a job as it was before. People don't stay for, for a long, long time in your job. And I think as an employer, we shouldn't expect people to either, you know, like I'm, I'm, if you get a couple of good years out of someone and they want to move on, you know, it's like, even if they're a great employee, it's like being upset about it, you know, sure, try and try and keep them, do whatever you can. But, you know, um, I think really it's about you know, understanding the new work principles and saying, okay, well, how can I onboard someone quickly, get them that speak to competency working, you know, instead of being six months, which it used to be, how can that mm -hmm. be two or three months, right? Um, what can I do to, to help with that? And they're giving them all the support and, and, um, and guidance that they require to be successful. I think that's the new principle. And, you know, I, I talk about servant leadership a lot, but, um, you know, I, I was sort of thinking about those principles for ages. And then, you know, when I, when I learned that term, um, you know, and, and then I read a, a really good book called from good to great, yep. which looked at, um, some companies in the S and P 500 over a 20, 30 year period. And they looked at the leaders and this is going back, right? This is not even recent, it's just you know, 20, 30 years backwards. They looked at the most successful leaders and it wasn't, you know, the guys in the fancy suits that came in to do change management and were great in the media and all that. It was these guys, the guys and girls that work within the business, typically they were promoted from within, um, and they were really, they really loved the business and the employees and they, and they were servants to the business, not, you know, this boss flashy kind of, um, cool yeah. car, nice suit boss guy. So, um, if you want to build a successful business, there's a million ways to do it. Um, I think the best way to do it in this day and age is to think about servant leadership principles, think about your team and, you know, there's no, no one says it better than Richard Branson, right? He said, your, your clients are not what matters most. Your employees, employees are. Because if you look after your employees, they look after the clients. So treat your employees as if they're clients, you know, they're, they're the guy, they're the people that you need to look after and they'll look after your business, you know, um, mm -hmm. when you get to a certain level, if it's your two or three people in the business different, but, um, eventually you're going to get to a stage in your business where you're not seeing every client or you're not providing the service as much or the product. Um, and you're going to have to build a business and really then it's out of your hands as to the client experience. So make sure that you provide the right environment for those staff members. Yeah, I love it. And obviously one of the best things, best marketing tools for more sales, et cetera, or, you know, everything is just having a great client experience. And as you say, once you grow to a good level, you're not the one delivering it. So um, what a great point of difference that can be. Bill, thanks so much for that. That was some, some great uh great discussion there and lots of great tips. I'll be uh, taking notes on this one, I, I imagine, to to bring into my my team and my business. But yeah, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it, Bill. No, thanks for having me on, mate. It was great.
Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.